this is number two now. Um, welcome back. Um, so the ones I have selected are a little bit more rambly. Um, yeah, a little bit more rambly. And from a um, section that I found called Studies of the Desperate. So this is them. This is called Bite. Service the dog. Your face bores me and kissing it isn't the answer. Pancakes and coffee. Thank you, Valentine. I lost the cause, but the sugar soothes my lips like butter. On the couch, I laid my back and rode my gums over the crystal glass. My gut was protruding. I felt sick looking at the pile-up near my belt. You came in, inspecting your face in the mirror. On your fresh, salted face broke a pimple. I watched the ice circle. You came over, dropped your trousers and allowed me a pilgrim's kiss. The dryness was like cider. I swallowed the tissue from your cleaned-up piss and then, when you were done, you dismounted and covered up. My neck swelled like a bite. I lay there with my big belly, staring into the light socket, the blown bulb, black antennae, that twitched like my knuckle. This one doesn't have a name. When you bent like the bowel of a boat, and all the flower and blossom plumed like a little nick of light, Spreading red to red, hard to wet, I took up my jaw and bit down as it kissed, knocking like a boat on the harbour, the stem of my quivering, trembling on your soft, open red lips. The more you looked at me and adjusted your hips, the more it peeled open, caressing and brushing my red. I slid in, and in a moment of leg ache, prickling heat, open mouth, gullies of air, and smells of vanilla and rampant citrus, with quivers like tremors like feather, I fluttered away with my life, laid down my honour at your feet, as nothing could take the reins of such a sensation that powdered blood all over my body, that tore my jaw from my head, leaving my tongue languidly dangling, looking for water. I was kicking horse, in a field of ecstasy where stinging nettles, bulrushes, lob-down freesias lie together in harmony, prickling and writhing in the mulchy bed, where bosoms feed the bees and tongues drink the rain. This is called wine. They measure the glass. Mum and Dad. Wine levels. Goodbye, them a spirit level, then they could find the bubble in the middle of a measure. Mum does mainly. I want to be once removed, bad-mannered, have an ugly temper. I can see that I am alone. I am numb, and this alcohol can keep my stomach yeasty. But it burns my heart, flicks, prods laughs. So it floats in a pool like a jellyfish, no fins, no legs, 
to pull weight, to fell gravity like heartbeats and dance moves and stains on the skin. If you can shed weight in seconds, smoke bark and drink wheat, I can dream for the world and sink like a stone. This is called Did I? Did I? Do? Did I do what was right at the, at the right time? Did I? Did I do the right thing at the right time on the, on the dot when the clock struck and the lightning stopped fate and in the spin, in the wind? Did I? Did I do? I do, Did I? What I should? Have I? Did I? Did I take up the knife that held, that held its, its power above, hanging like a conquer? Did I? Did I take up the prize in the, in the prism of my, of my mind? Did I, did I do what was expected when it came, when it came, cunningly, knocking at the door? Did I duck? Did I do? Did I do what was needed? Trip over the wire, the wire that held her, held her tongue, a power, a power beyond my power. Did I, did I do that, the do that made her do? Did I, did I stop when the stars stopped, when they looked down, when they looked up? Did I look up? To hold hands in the moonlight, did I walk? Did I walk the miles needed to earn, to earn the footsteps that made, that made him? Did I? Did I fail? This is called leak. His forefinger bent like a split arrow, nobbled, and now after some years, rotting like a leak. It sits under his chin like a gold-plated oyster shell, Cupping his lump chin. Under his heart, under the blubber, where red skin has worn. The blue glistens like a sweaty fist. Sits like an ember, spittling, or like a young'un, playing, grinning in muddy blood. On the surface of his forehead, the ember. Peers, looking glass. Peering its way, worming under the fallen brown mountain sheets. His mouth opens, the tongue cold, old, belly out, shines like moon bowl. The ember now running around his skin turns his body up. Leg by leg he lifts up to moonshine. When you grab a handful of coins, coppers, and drop them from a height, they fall and spread. His teeth did the same. And in this gumless joy, his tongue looked like a cat's willy poking through his grin. There he was, sucked to the belly of the moon, grinning like a cat, watching the world blue and green spin. His bones were white as light, his mouth as red as blood. Um, this one is an Edinburgh thing. I'm going to use a bit of it and then try and use it to create something. So this is called Edinburgh. In Edinburgh, I sat, meeting the cold winds, harsh winds, and stuffing chorizo, sun-kissed chorizo and olives into my mouth. On a concrete seat while listening to a chaos, a murmur, a repartee, the hops simmered like consomme, 
on the edge of clearings. I can still smell the cuts. Iron blood, her perfume, stale beer, metal kegs. I can see your eyes. Your body naked. Bright, fucking naked. In pulled up stirrups and fig syrup. I can still see my body on loose sheets, protesting, thickly. To sleep, to smell hops and skip in sleep. I never did get the height in my hip, the bounce in my calf, the tautness, the torso, the lineage. I stared at your cracked lips. Wondering how you got attention, but every day you tell me you became more popular. In the fields I felt wet and at times span and saw bark, tent poles, steaming and smelling of ash. The shutters closed like barn doors and we kept the morning out, the blaze of morning heat, the stiffening pain of wake-up calls. I saw food, I saw it run down my chin, and felt the steam, the spice. Night came in like a dirty train, it rolled itself on the floor, and rain flicked our faces like your nimble fingers worked my clothes. I nearly parted on the bench, because there was nowhere to go. But I got low enough to drink a puddle that you pissed in, and then you saw the tears flow. I've left this place like a house, ramming the door, carefully pushing it to, leaving it open and tearing it off. You have held my tantrums, mishaps, my misdemeanours, my orgasmic tirades, and still, like a mother cleans the gobbed-out dummy with her own mouth. You've had me, Edinburgh, and you have my heart. Place. I've moved into a new place. At first it was like blinking in the sunlight. Down the high street women nourish their hunger, biting and chewing their lips. Teeth are the currency here, a minor polished white. Of course at the back they're rotting, and have cement pushed in. There is no lacquer here that turns oak to driftwood. The floors are truly rotting, from dragging in dishwater and bare feet. In London I've seen rustic plates and rustic shops all smelling of dandelions and grapefruit. Here legs like curtain poles are propped up by pelvis and an unglamorous tug. In this place the sky has taken stones to cave its head so sherry floods the gap between brick and buildings. Betting shops are as warm as coffee houses and seeing a damsel in tights gives every man the wet nose. This one is called Army. Up the nose goes the powder. Down goes his cameo trouser. On the floor goes his loaded gun. And now for his fortune of fun. She reminds him of his mother, her morality and being much older. She pulls out a cigarette holder and asks for a light from the soldier. 
To battle he goes, over the trench he throws. His grit he shows, as he goes toe to toe. She reminds him of his brother, in her honour and her armour, as he sweats like it's summer, as he pounds like a drummer. Over the thickets and high water, he dreamt of having a daughter, as he crossed the border, to take up the enemy to slaughter. Piling on the pressure, he thinks of the backbencher, who voted for the adventure, but gave him no means to censor. Lance Corporal, sir, the antelope, fighting for glory, land and hope. Chomping at his lip so his eyes can cope As he's moved bodies like old rope He works hard but he's stripped Of everything that made him equipped To keep to life's manuscript He's a shadow that has been ripped She cries as he goes harder She can smell his stale larder But he gallops on faster as he loses his sights in the peeling plaster. His back is broad and meaty, his scars covered in inked graffiti. One, the name of his lost wife, the medic in the afterlife. She reminds him of him. They've both been a victim. A cry in a hymn, a number in the swim. He sinks in his brown socks. As he finishes his lot, he looks at the clock, his friend the ticking robot. To the woe and the weary who thought life was scary, try fighting a battle and then being treated like cattle. This is called Nightmare. An old lady stands in a room. She wears clothes made out of fur. She eats a red apple. She has purple in her eyes. A gutless man chomps on a green apple. He spits the pips and sniffs the cyanide that loosens. They both watch. A bone boy and a young girl sleeping. They weigh their eyes on the feast. She curdles. He cackles. She creaks. He snapples. The bone boy cradles his toes, watches his right foot grow. His face is tired. He awaits her killing. On a stool, a cut stool made of wires, leads and washing machine parts, rests a knife in a dish of butter. It rests in a dish of butter. The man cocks his head up, heaves up the apple into his paw and eats it for a second time, throwing the apple like bait for his breath. The old lady cracks her uncracked chest, steals a moment, and lights a match in her eyes and knits a third eye to her coat. The bone boy crawls to the corner of the bed, uses cover as a blockade, knowing his girlfriend would kill him. The room begins to smell. The carpet cries out and crawls to the edges. The young girl awakes, flings her body, catapults her hand, flicks the knife from the butter and digs it into the bone of the boy. He opens his mouth and dust comes. He looks like a moth. She sees no blood. He rolls back to a baby and looks up into her eyes, the deep 
pools of salty water and dies. The gutless man finishes the apple. The old lady finishes her apple. They leave. So I'm now going to read a, um, a bit from a story. So I might break it up in two parts and put it a bit now and a bit later. Mm. This is called Kirpan. Kirpan was awake. The silver skin of the moon spread out across his body, clipping his protruding rib bones, pulling in pockets and well-earned creases. His mouth was dirt dry. His left hanging earlobe itched. His large nostrils rose like the wings of a butterfly. Then, without effort, fluttered back to their resting position. It was then he could taste his stomach's six-hour ferment. The taste that hung at the back of his throat. It hung like a carcass in an abattoir, swinging. The smell seemed to throb, like it had swollen his tonsils. His evening with a vet had left a strong, bitter taste. Wormwood. Her thigh, her neck and her vagina had left his throat in a state of spasm. He moved. The moonlight fell from his horning ribs onto the old mattress. His neck ached from the root to the skull. He looked around to see how the moonlight had intruded on his sleep. The iron extractor fan, no longer turning, broken. It seemed smaller from his viewpoint. Light was pouring in like a shawl of fish sculling through a wreckage. Kapan was mulling things over. This resulted in smelling his fingers, licking his lips and scratching his left earlobe. He had two hours left before his usual morning call. The phone, to which the call was made six days a week, sat on the bedside table near the bed. He stretched. Kirpan's skin was tight. It was like a tight shirt one had grown out of. It restricted his movements. Though the moonlight had seemed to penetrate his thin, tight skin that was pulled over his ribs like violin strings over the post, his gut was bloated. It lay like a piece of pork on the butcher's block. It was thick. It had buoyancy. His wife had used it as a pillow, if they were in the park or at the pier, and had taken a rest, rather than use the comfy area of his chest. She would lay her ear on his belly. The pressure of her head on his belly caused some discomfort. He never said a word. He'd rather clench his toes or bite his cheeks. Often they had eaten and most of his concentration was used to keep his muscles clenched as his wife spoke sweetly to him. He had an urge to stretch his back. It had been playing on his mind, tinkering. There was a spot which, when stretched, gave him great pleasure. For Kirpan, it was the same pleasure he got from coming home and washing his hands with soap, washing the blood and scrubbing the stains from his nails. Lavender. 
He would always pick two fresh sprigs on his way home. He'd rub them in his palms and then drop them into the soapy water. The sprigs would spiral like two arms, looking for each other in the mist. He yawned, cat-like, his eyes lifted up to the ceiling. The pattern of white plaster looked to him like stiff peaks of meringue. His toes hit the floor, his ankle bracing the weight above. He was cautious. It was, after all, the first step of the morning. Caban's room was small, pokey. The main area of play was his bed or his desk. He had made most of the room. His door, for instance, had a corkboard nailed to the back on which he collected all types of photos, cuttings, menus, tickets, pieces of cloth. To the left of his bed was a large Victorian window, the paint peeling the wooden rotten. Through the white you could see shards of brown wood, roots and bark tonguing their way through out of the canvas, pressing their noses up against the air. He used an old painter's ground sheet as a curtain. He always left the window open. He used a paint tin to prop up the window pane. He pulled down the sheet, even though the view was quite spectacular, quite breathtaking. Kirpan had become used to it. It had rendered itself into normality, the everyday. Somehow he had been spoilt rotten on it, and now it gave him as much enjoyment as it would be to take a piss. In fact, that would have most likely given him more pleasure. Out of the window ledge was his larder. He had fixed around six inches of protruding driftwood to the sill in order to act as an outside ledge. Kirpan was a wanderer. He collected things, stored things, he fell in love with stuff. He climbed, he walked, he tasted, he would forage. He was a hard worker. His back was broad from the work. His smell was of oils and lavender. His smell was of barley and Madeira. He recycled clothes, washed them in a bucket, hung them in his bedroom. He would spend some nights watching the water drip from the cuffs onto the floorboards. He liked watching the dry floorboards being moistened by the water, being quenched. It was the same pleasure he got from seeing the waves touch and cover every part of the sand, every rock wet, coloured dark. He'd watch the droplets fall, then dive and then hit the grooves, spread out, soak in, darken the wood, stain it. He stored a few things on the outside larder, one tin of smoked paprika, a huge round block of blue cheese, uncovered, a couple of jars of pickles, beetroots, chilies, cucumbers, under a wooden bowl, a block of butter, sourdough bread, a jar of salt water, floating sandfire, a garlic bowl, garlic leaves, and at the far end, two bottles of vodka. He grabbed a bottle, turned it in order to bring it under the window pane, and brought it in, as if he was stealing a milk bottle from a mother's lap. He sat on the bed, his belly protruded. It had a life of its own. 
Port Bazaar presents.